Hello, and welcome to the Apostolic Church Liverpool podcast. We hope the message you're about to listen to will inspire you, will be a blessing to you, and give you perspective in life. For more of such messages, you can visit our website at www.tac-lona.org.uk. You can also access other messages and resources from our YouTube channel, The Apostolic Church Europe. We hope you're blessed and inspired by today's message. God bless you. Here's the message. So welcome everyone um, as we continue our journey in the book of Titus. Um, just earlier today, the elders were meeting and part of what we did was looking back at everything that God has helped us to do in this year. And in Bible study, we are just grateful to God for all the books that we have studied, um, especially because God himself supplied the grace and I mean, it's it's just beautiful to see how many months is being spent on one book uh, because God is helping us to dig deep into it. And I'm so grateful to God for that privilege. So I also want to thank God for the leaders and the opportunity they've afforded me and everyone that has had the privilege of facilitate, facilitating one session or the other. Uh, we thank God for your life's success and we pray for more grace for all of you in Jesus' name. We started the book of Titus a couple of weeks back with a general overview of it. And then last week we, am I sharing my screen? Yes, you are, sir. But the voice is, is going off and coming back. Ah, well, let's start on that note. <laughs> okay. But it's okay now. Yeah. All right. Um, so we we began with the uh, with the overview. Um, two weeks ago. Please, if for any reason I'm seizing again, just let me know. I, I think it's just a matter of restarting the system and everything will be clear. Um, last week, we began to look at the next part in the outline, which is where Paul began to address Titus about ordaining qualified leaders, ordaining qualified leaders, having given a general introduction into his letter, reiterating the importance of preaching the word. Then he moves on in verse five to verse nine on ordaining qualified leaders. We've gone to verse seven there about, to seven A, and we're going to pick up from where we left off. But let's just read the text again from verses five through nine, Titus chapter one. I'm reading from the New James Version. It says, for this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Then he gives an hyphen. That hyphen shows that what is saying next in verse six is directly linked to what we have just read. Says, if a man is blameless, husband of wife. All right. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast to the faithful word as he has been taught, 
that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. May the Lord bless the reading of his word for the salvation of our souls in Jesus' name. So last week we have already, um, like I said, journeyed through the first couple of verses, uh, 5 to 7a, thereabouts. We have noted some important points along the line, reiterating the fact that there are many cities um, located on this highland and by implication many churches for upon which Titus has an oversight. And we have also reiterated the importance of appointing elders and not just one elder, a plurality of elders, which is a model that we have seen from the early church, um, even as Paul is also reiterating in this letter. <laughs> Luke tells us in Acts 14, 23, um, about this approach that Paul has always had to church planting. Uh, it says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so this is a very core practice um, in the early church, which in the apostolic church, of course, continues to be a practice that we hold in high esteem. Of course, these are, it goes on to list, you know, some qualities that must be looked at, considered before these elders are appointed and ordained. And by the time we begin to look at those qualities, we began to see that they, 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 they are indicating that this individual, which can be you, which can be me, should be someone that would be seen as being different in, in, in a sense, someone that is countercultural to the dictates of the world around him, someone that is in the world, but also not of the world. And we've emphasized on some of those words we saw in verse six about being blameless, blameless not meaning sinless, but blameless more or less meaning authentic. They are true to their true nature. And that nature is close to the nature of Christ. He reflects the Christ that is in them um, because, I mean, they are supposed to be ambassadors of God, ambassadors of Christ in those respective congregations. And so we, that leads us to verse seven, uh, where it says, a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. And that was where we stopped. Then he goes on to expatiate on what he means by that, by giving some five qualities, which we've called five must nots, that if this person is to be appointed to lead, these are things we should not find in his life or our life. And remember that we reiterated the fact that these principles apply to church members. For someone to be appointed to become an elder, the person is not being appointed from heaven. Like the person is not being appointed amongst the angels. The person is first and foremost a member of the church. And that is why all of these qualities that we are talking about, whether or not you are aspiring to become an elder or a deaconess or a deacon or, I mean, a church officer in your own right, the fact remains that they are what is expected of true believers. They are what is expected of true, genuine Christians, people who's, who has made their calling and election sure, 
people who are not Christians because just because they come to church, but who are truly Christians because that's their life. That's 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 in him Christ they live, in him they move, in him they have their being. And these are the things we must see. And that's why this is very important. Of course, we know that when we say church, 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 or yeah, church, not everybody that is in church is a Christian. Even if everybody would identify as a Christian, it's not everybody that is in church that is born again. It's not everybody that is in church that is saved. It's why, according to Jesus' parable, I would say on that day, um, Lord, Lord, in your name we did this, in your name we did that. And he would tell them, I never knew you. And so what Paul is saying to Titus here is, if anything, if anyone will be appointed to lead, we want to be sure that that one person or two people or 10 people, they are not one of those who are, who are bearing a fake identity of belonging to Christ when in fact they don't. It's okay for the church to be made up of people that are not all Christians. It's okay. The church is like a hospital for sick people, sick in the soul, including, I mean, it's, it's a place for everyone. You can come the way you are. The only thing is by the reason of the truth that you're exposed to, you can't afford to stay the way you are. At some point, the truth will begin to transform you. You will encounter the one who truly saves and who welcomes you into his family and empowers you to become a servant in his house. But the point is, we don't want to get people that are not yet in that level and that journey, that relationship and that ongoing maturity to become leaders. So I'm saying all that to say one simple thing. Don't zone out because you are not wanting to become an elder. This is not just a checklist for who to be ordained as an elder. This is a checklist for the authenticity of your Christianity. This is a proof that truly you're a child of God. Um, it's as basic, as basic as that. So what are these five must nots that we see in verse six? The first is that the person must not be arrogant must not be self-willed, as some other versions put it. A self-willed servant of God, a self-willed follower of Christ will be arrogant. In the case of having a self-willed person or an arrogant person in a position of leadership in the church, I mean, such a person will not take people's suggestions. He will not take people's criticisms. And he would always ensure that he gets his own way. That's not leadership. That's dictatorship. And while church members ought to respect and follow the leadership of the elders, they should be certain that it is leadership and not dictatorship. Because elders must be men that are marked by humility. But again, everywhere you see us talking about elders or pastors in this context, in this conversation, you can as well just interpret that as genuine Christians. Genuine Christians must be people that are marked by humility that are marked by humility. They are not self-willed. It's not, a, nothing is about them. They've realized that they, it's not about me. It's not about me. Self is, is being increasingly and intentionally put to death so that Christ can come alive. It was John that said, I believe John 3.30 or 1.30, he says that I may decrease, that he may increase. He is willing for himself to be put down so that even in his being put down, Christ is exalted. Christ is, it gets to be seen ever so clearly through his life and his ministry. So that's, that's the first point. It must not be arrogant 
and must not be self-willed. Before I move on um, to the second one, and of course, subsequently as well, please feel free to stop us at any point in time if you want to add, if you want to um, chip in some thoughts, if you want to ask a question about what we've said so far. So I'll take the second one, but before we move on to the third one, if you have any questions or additions to the first two, we'll take them together. It says that the person must not be quick-tempered. Mm. Must not be quick-tempered. Must not have a short fuse. In other words, a genuine Christian must demonstrate much patience. Much patience. Quick to hear, but slow to speak. Slow to respond. Because when we tend to respond quickly in frustration, the result is always foolish behavior, more often than not. When we respond quickly in frustration, it results in foolish behavior, or at least foolish speech. In, in you saying something that you will end up regretting, in you displaying a reaction for which you will have to apologize. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 7 says, a quick-tempered person acts foolishly. And the person of evil devices is hated. Of course, this poetic style of writing that is used in this verse, and you find this a lot in the Proverbs, you find it a lot in the Psalms, is, is called parallelism. In other words, the quick tempered the quick, the quick person, sorry about that, is also the person of evil devices. And acting foolishly, is parallel to being hated. So a quick-tempered person acts foolishly. That quick-tempered person is a person of evil devices, and because he's acting foolishly, he or she will be hated. It's two statements that are saying more or less the same thing. We don't want that to be us. We don't want to be described like that. And so a genuine Christian is patient. Uh, one other word for patience, especially in the King James Version, is long-suffering. They know how to suffer long, not because they are foolish, not because they, I mean, you, you might think you are taking them for granted and they are happy to be taken for granted for the sake of Christ, uh, because they don't want to react out of quick temper. They don't want to react foolishly. And so James says, he that is able to tame his tongue, the same is a perfect man. And he gives a recipe for that. Be quick to hear, but be slow to speak. There's a righteous anger against sin, and that's understandable. In fact, Ephesians 4.26 says, be hungry. But then it quickly hurts, but do not sin. So there is, there, is a, there is a room to be angry against iniquity, to be angry against sin. Excuse me. But if we have been honest with ourselves, much of our anger is unrighteous. And it's not exactly directed against an action, but against the people, the person that has committed the thing, the crime, the offense, that has said the word or had the oversight or made the mistake. We want to be people who are not quick-tempered. We want to be people who are not, uh, what's the first one, arrogant or self-willed. Let me pause on those two and take some thoughts. Any, any contribution, any addition, any question about not being quick-tempered and not being arrogant.
especially as it applies to leadership. Any any opinion? Um, Bola Joko Lojo, Mrs. Go on, man. Just now that strike my heart. That most of the time that when we get angry, mm -hmm. we we didn't get we don't get angry at the action is the person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the matter for me. <laughs> so getting angry at the person and not the action, yeah. that is when it's sinful, right? Yes, in a sense. Um, yes, I, I think in that, when you put it like that, yes, yeah, you're right. Uh, if it is an unrighteousness, you have a right to be angry against it. When Jesus was beating people and flogging people in the temple, it's not the people themselves that he was that he was offended by. Of course, his statement then goes on to show where his heart really is. He said, This is this is my father's house. My father's house shall be called the house of prayer. You have turned it into something else. So it is that action of turning the temple into a marketplace. And not just the marketplace, but a marketplace where there is injustice and unfairness. That grips his heart and commands a response. But when our anger is directed at someone rather than the something, that's where the, 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 there is a problem. Um, and indeed, even when we are angry at something, I want to believe that the Spirit of God is also the regulator, so to speak, of our, of our emotions in that sense. And so you can't, you can't afford to just stay angry every time and say you're angry against sin. If you want to be angry against him perpetually, there are too many sins to be angry against. You just be going about being angry two for seven. Uh, but there's also many other reasons to be happy and excited and joyful. And laughter is good medicine for the soul. Amen. Sister Lioness. Um, thank you so much for mentioning that text in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26. And I was just about to ask you a question saying that... Um, so when the Bible says, be angry and do not sin, in this particular text, in, you know, okay, so, so, that we don't take, so that we don't take it out of context, is that what it means that we should be angry at unrighteousness? In, I mean, this Ephesians 4.26, is, is that what it means? Do you understand my question, sir? Yes, yes. Any thoughts so, on that before? Yeah. How we one or two things. Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-six. <clears throat> Let me read the couple of verses before and after, just to put it in context um, for us. So it says from verse twenty-five, you must stop telling lies. Tell each other the truth. This is New Century Version. Because we all belong to each other in the same body. When you are angry, do not sin. And be sure to stop being angry before the end of the day. Do not give the devil a way to defeat you. Do not give the devil a way to defeat you. Does that shed a bit more light on the context for you, Sister Lioness? Yes, again, when I saw it in the book, in the Amplified Version, mm -hmm. it says, be angry then he puts in um, brackets at yeah. sin, at immorality, at injustice, at ungodly behavior. Mm -hmm. Yet do not sin. Do not let your anger cause shame. 
nor allow it to last until the sun goes down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know. So when I saw that, I thought, okay, let me pull back my question. But but then when I looked at the other versions, it didn't particularly express it like amplified, you know, amplified being amplified. It didn't express it. Um, it didn't. Exp it didn't put any word in brackets mm -hmm. to it. You know. So that was why I was asking that is he within the context? Because for me, anger is anger. That's that's the that's the point. At the end of the day, we get angry. Whether you are angry at sin or you are angry at someone, both kinds of anger can be nipped in the bud. That's, I think, the, the bottom line of the verse, actually, to say when you are angry, when that anger happens, whatever is the cause, whatever is the reason, you want to ensure that you don't keep nursing that grudge. You don't want the sin, the sun to go down on it. In other words, as soon as possible, you want to talk it over. You want to give expression to it. You want to settle this cause. You want to come back on the same page with that person, as the case may be, so that you do not give the devil um, a room or a way to defeat you. So it's maybe not necessarily saying that do not be angry, except you know, at sin, because the truth is, at the end of the day, we get angry sometimes. And it's not necessarily at sin. Our anger itself has sinful potential inside of it. I think there's another scripture that says anger does not deliver the justice of God or something like that. It's 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 a ten, it has a lot of tendency to negative emotions and negative actions. And so we want to be sure that we cover ourselves, we want to nip it in the butt as soon as possible before it escalates into full-blown unrighteousness if if that makes sense yeah anger does not produce the righteousness of god yes of god thank you sir thank you sir hello pastor yes sir yeah, yeah. I, I want to ask a question quickly let's say two questions sir. now we're talking about anger mm. now another version you say not not quick to anger now when does it become an habit because some people, at any little thing, mm. they pick up. At any little thing, they pick up. Mm. So when do we say it becomes an habit for that person? That's number one. Mm. Number two, if you are under a leadership and we notice these um, shortcomings, how do we handle that from experience, we've been under a leadership where the choir leader was quick to anger, probably because we had an opposition party in the choir group or all those stuff, any little thing. At some point, when we we're doing the choir rehearsal, we will not pray before we say, before we say grace, everybody will disperse. Because of the leadership. And what the guy was fighting for was mm. right. He was the leader. Mm. He was the choir leader. What he was fighting for was right. But I don't know whether it was an habit, any little thing he picked up. So mm. I want to know when does it become an habit? One. Number two, how do we undo a leader that we can actually spot? this uh, deficiency. 
Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, well, I think you, the, the answer to that question is what you already said. So that's when it becomes a constant practice. That's what Hebrews 5.14 said. When it becomes a constant practice, that is when that person now needs to start checking himself or herself. It's just become a routine. It's become any small thing. You get angry over it and all of that. And most of those things, it becomes eventually you now see that once it becomes a constant practice, it's uh, born out of self. Um, it becomes a prideful thing. It's linked to pride then. It's trying to defend self. It's trying to portray self in a particular way. And also, if you have um, if one of a leader that is uh, subjected and is always quick to anger, I think one of the things that, number one, the, that person needs prayer. So we need to start constantly praying for that person that uh, the Lord will, will touch that person and change that person because there are other things that are attached to it. So it doesn't just come suddenly because I'm sure the leaders and the elders that ordained that person as a leader must have observed him and look at all this criteria before ordaining the person. But maybe the person has a gift and all of that, but I believe what we can do is prayer. That's nothing that prayer cannot do. As long as the person is born again, if the person is not born again, that's where the problem is. But if the person is born again, that fruit of humility is already part of the uh, package when you when you receive salvation. But what you need is the knowledge of the salvation. So that's why he says, I wish that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of salvation. And when the person look at himself in the mirror and now starts see this is not Christ-like, yeah, then it starts changing uh, slowly. So I believe the person just needs prayers. Thank you very much, sir. Um, another thing that came to mind uh, on that question as well is that, especially when it's becoming habitual, uh, it might actually be a mental health issue. And by that, I mean, sometimes anger is a secondary, is a symptom of something deeper. And so when we just, act, when something very little provokes us, something very little provokes us, um, it might not necessarily be that those provocative agents or issues are the real deal. There's something deeper within that is needing to be addressed. I notice, for instance, that when I've not gotten enough rest, maybe I've had to stay through the night preparing things and organizing stuff or whatever. And then I go into the day like that, still crashing along. It gets to a point, and it's my wife that helped me to realize this. It gets to a point that any small thing from any of the boys, I'm shouting at them, I'm raising my voice, I'm, I'm talking in, and then when they start using languages, like, okay, we think daddy is getting, daddy's battery is getting low. <laughs> and things like that. I come back to my senses and I know that, okay, I think I need to rest. Or sometimes my wife will just say, okay, it's time to go and sleep and force me to bed. Um, it might be something as simple as, as that. There is nothing normal about you know, just flaring up at every little provocation. Um, so I'm saying, check deeper. What could what could be the underlying issues that are also going on that is making you easily irritated, irritable um, in that sense? Yeah. Uh, praise God. I think uh, that's some contribution here, which are really very, very good from uh, Mrs. Adepunle. Said the church is for people who are working every day to be better as the hospital is for the sick uh -huh. if we are all perfect like our father in heaven will be 
to be holy, to remain here. That is why the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus is what is covering us. 100% I agree with you. That is true. The Bible says if we work in the light as it is in the light, then we start having fellowship one with another. Then said the blood and the blood cleanses us from our sins. So it's a gradual process. But what we're also seeing is that with time, you start seeing the fruits. We will start seeing the fruits. So yes, we keep the, the blood will keep washing us as we build Christ, as we build Christ. That process, as long as we we are attached to the uh to divine, then we'll start seeing the change in us. But we that, that work of sanctification must carry on in us. So it was maybe frequent before, it'll be less frequent until start getting less and less. And we just can want the loop back and say, where, where did all this anger go? Where did all these vices go? That is the work of the Holy Spirit. But we must consciously learn from under his feet. And where do we learn? In places like this. Praise God. Hallelujah. Very much, sir. Um, so we'll move on to the next one and would hasten up a little bit more. A very interesting one. The person must not be a drunkard. I mean, it goes without saying, right? Even people that are not identified with Christ, a sane person does not want to be a drunkard. To be a drunkard is to be controlled by, by the influence of alcohol, basically. Um, so in other words, the person doesn't get inspiration from the bottle or from the Bible. It is not the, <laughs> the content of a bottle that is sparkling. Uh, that is nourishing and sustaining this man or woman of God. Rather, it is the word by which we cannot do without. The Bible says that um, bread is good, but man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In the same sense, wine is good. I mean, Paul told Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach that is hurting. But of course, Timothy himself knows that that's not a license for him to become a drunkard. And so this person must not be, that must not be the identity. This is important in light of the prevalent drunken worship of Dionysus, the Greek god of wine and ecstatic experience in the Roman Empire. So part of why this is very important is because contextually speaking, the first people that received this letter, there is already a widespread practice in their day and age whereby to worship this God of wine and ecstatic experience is to go ballistic and drink yourself to stupor. And they even believe that being drunk then gives you an edge and takes you to heights you would never you know, reach on your own in worshiping this deity. And Christianity wants to totally distance from that. Uh, so Paul is writing to say anyone that would be appointed to lead or to a leadership position, especially in this case, an elder, uh, must make that clear-cut demarcation in that sense. Um, there's a comment in the chat that says, be you controlled by the spirit and not with wine. Indeed, because there's only one space. It's either the Holy Spirit or the gene <laughs> that will be controlling you. Yeah. Uh, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine in which there is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And to be filled by something is to be controlled by it. So when the Bible says be filled with the Spirit, it's literally saying surrender yourself to the Spirit in a way that the Spirit is what carries you. It's, it becomes what animates you. 
The same way when you fill yourself with wine and wine can carry you and land you in places you will not even want to go voluntarily. Um, so the Spirit of God can do that as well, especially in better, healthier, and sounder ways. Um, so be, be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine. The thoughts of the must not. So we've said must not be self-willed or arrogant, must not be um, drunken, uh, must not be a drunkard, or must not be given to wine. And we said must not be quick-tempered. Then the fourth one is must not be violent. Must not be violent. The Greek word used there literally means must not be a striker. And I'm not talking of Ellen Haaland or Mbappe. Striker as in someone that fights, someone that's bros, someone that is quick to, to, to release some uppercuts uh, in that sense. Someone who is always ready to fight if the wind blows the wrong way to the thermostat in their, in their soul. This type of man, again, is common. They are common in Crete. My pastor was telling us that they find many mercenaries, recruit mercenaries from these places. <laughs> Excuse me. And so it's, it's, again, a very necessary condition before you want to appoint an elder. You want to be sure it's not someone that's any small thing. The next thing is to kick the deacon or, or to slap the choir master. <laughs> <laughs> because there are people like that. Um, it's just in their, in their, in their build-up, um, especially culturally speaking, for those of those days. So surely the other will come across many situations in the church that will provoke him. In fact, I think that the church is one of the places where you can be guaranteed that you will be provoked. Uh, you will be provoked. If you're in the leadership position, you will be provoked. Even if you are just leading a small unit of three people, one of them will provoke you. Um, it's a normal thing. And so we want to be sure that we don't turn every provocation to, to a fist fight. You must respond in love, not in violence. There's a different way of living for people of God. That's the emphasis that runs through all these characteristics. Paul is saying, the people of Crete may be doing this, but you can't. You can't because there is a different spirit inside of you. And so that different spirit must be visual, must be visible for anyone that is looking at you in the way and manner in which you live your life. So we are to be a people that are to be known by the way in which we love and the way we live among others. And the last, <laughs> the last of the five must nots is that the person must not be greedy for money. A very big one, must not be greedy for money. The motivation for this person, man or woman, must never be money or influence or fame. Rather, it must and should always be Christ being proclaimed in the hearts of all men. That must be the motivation. That must be the driving force. Uh, Paul makes mention of this same criterion, if you will, in his letter to Timothy, in his first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.10, where he says the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, not even having it, just longing for it and going all out to get it and not missing any shift to have it, some, by longing for it, they have wandered away from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many griefs. 
I think that there is so much wisdom in that statement that Jesus made when he says you can't serve God and mammon. And of course, many Bible scholars have helped us understand that mammon is just more or less speaking about money, the God of money. Uh, you can't serve God and money. It just doesn't work. It's one of those tools that the devil had pervadedly invaded such that if you think you have it, it has got you. If you think you have money, the moment you think, yes, I have money, that money has gotten you. Because really, at the end of the day, it's not about you. And there is nothing that you have that you can claim. All of them are to be used as tools by you. Otherwise, they will use you as a tool. It's either way. And so you don't want to, to make money your motivation. If an elder practices any of these must-nots, if he's self-willed, if he's quick to throw fist fights, if he's greedy for money, if he's a drunkard, the point is it will not only be bad for him, to be bad for the body of Christ, to be bad for that person as well. Pastor would say sometimes that sin may not take you to hell, but it will bring hell to you. In other words, yes, we are all works in progress. And yes, if you are truly and genuinely saved, you are not yet sinless, you sin. Uh, but then the fact that God's grace has caught up with you and rescued you from the, from the grip of sin doesn't mean that you will not stand to face the consequences of some of the things that sin draws into our life when we choose to surrender ourselves to it. And so we want to be sure that we are living as servants of God, not servants of sin. That's why Paul says, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are under grace you are no longer under the law you are under the grace of god the position or the office or the title will not change you will not change anyone if anything it will simply amplify what is already inside you the the people from my culture will say your character is like smoke it will always find a way to release itself and people will see it and so when you put people on a pedestal by virtue of a title or an office or a responsibility, what you are simply doing is you are putting them on a pedestal. So naturally, people that would not even see them when they are just part of the crowd now get to look at them. And then, of course, what do they see? Putting them on a pedestal has not changed them. It has only made them more visible. And so their errors becomes more visible to everyone. So we want to, we want to trust God to help us in all of these areas, I don't know which of them that might have caught your attention or that the Spirit of God is, you know, nudging you in the earth about. We'll take all of that to him in prayers in the next few minutes. Sister Lioness. Um, yes, I thank you so much for, um, I think the third point that says, um, don't be a drunkard, right? Uh -huh. yeah. And um, the last one that says money. Yeah. All right, so sometimes when do you, all right, when do you draw the limit to when you are, a, when you are drinking alcohol uh -huh. um, for healing? And when you become a drunkard, because the truth of the, because sometimes, um, I think 
the issue is with us many times that maybe we don't just draw the line. Uh, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't notice the boundary, the landmark to say, okay, this is where I draw the line. Or, or, you know, so that I don't become a drunkard. Because for me, this scripture kept ringing in my head, the little leaven leavens of the whole lump. So you had better not drink an alcohol than drinking it and thinking, well, I'm not a drunkard. I, yeah, I just, you know, I just do it, you know. And then by the time you know it, you're, you're really getting into it. And that comes to the issue of money as well, you know. Um... And that's why sometimes I feel when you're talking about the fact that somebody should not be angry. And when somebody asks that, you know, when it becomes a constant thing. All right. So say, say for instance, I'm a, I'm a single parent. And the reason why I couldn't do much um, job that I do when my parents were around helping me to look after the children is because I know that if, if I do much, if I do as much, um, I will be tired. And when I'm tired, again, just to buttress what you're saying, when I'm tired, that's when I, I'll get cranky. Um, just, you know, changing mood all over the place, particularly towards the children. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm tired. I need to go sit somewhere, you know, and stop misbehaving up and down. So, and, and you know, because I had to come to that point to draw that boundary to say, okay, that's what, as, as a parent, when I know that I'm tired, that's when mood in this house will change, you know? So, and with um, so many things that you have to deal with, you know, we are Africans and we have people back home that we're taking care of. Like, seriously, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying on behalf of people, you know, but um, so where do, the, where do you draw that boundary that say, ah, I'm not a lover of uh, money now, but money should come. <laughs> you know. Uh, praise God. That's a very good question. The I think uh, the what I would say to that is this: we can. It's not a. There's no definitive answer. I think the Holy Spirit itself is our guidance and our counselor. The instruction is going to give you be different from that song. That those people tell you don't even you can't even touch your mouth at all. Then the question then we ask ourselves is that sometimes you know some people want to quote what Paul said to Timothy. He says that drink a little wine because of your the, the your stomach upset your little. The question I'm going to ask you is that what is your stomach upset? What is your what is that what is that disease that you are following? Let us know and we'll pray and lay hand on you and we go. So that is what we say. But what I'm, so I think what we are saying is, and also in the case of the money one, the mammoth one is a very simple one. I think one of the key words that the elders and the leaders are discussing today, that the, the focus that the Lord is giving to us is consecration. And it's given Matthew 6, 23. He said, if your eyes be single, then your whole body will be full of light. Mm. So if your eyes be single, meaning that if, your focus or concentration in every decision you made is all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. So if you are given the opportunity, you chose money, then that's it. If your motivation, your motivation is, for example, they give you two options. The ones you, which one will you take? So for example, if 
we for example we said uh and it's i mean i don't want to give too much so that people don't start reasoning out too much but what i'm saying is that the holy spirit itself if you are born again will be the umpire will tell you that today my daughter i don't want you to go to work i want you to stay with your children and take good care of them today that if you choose to it's not all about church if you choose to and you didn't and you did so that well you've taken that because he said seek ye first the king and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you now it may not be added instantly because god will keep testing you and testing you and testing and see that you actually you following the ordinances and all of that so what we are saying is that in general, let the Holy Spirit be the one that tells you. Yes, sir. Holy Spirit will tell you, will constantly tell you. What we tell Pastor La, it may not be what he tells me, it may not be what he tells you. And it's not, may not be what he tells me. Tell me you. That's why sometimes when we go to different programs and I see some people still drinking a little bit, I, I don't start. No, 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 no. I just pray that Holy Spirit, I want you to. Holy Spirit himself is the one. Otherwise, people will just become hypocrites. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they will just, they will still say, oh, we don't do it, they will do it behind. And that is what you don't really want, because then that will be bad. But you just want people to be who they are. But you just keep praying, you keep teaching, you keep praying, you keep teaching. Then suddenly, Holy Spirit itself will do the work. But however, if we read uh, Galatians 5, uh, from 21, from 19, it said, the act of the flesh are very obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, anger, selfish ambition, dissension, functions. We have functions in the church. Say, I'm all for this, I'm not for this, I'm for this one, I'm not for this one. Envy, drunkenness, and the likes of them. He said, I've warned you. As I did before, those who practice this thing will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you make it a practice, because sometimes you don't know, you might just start having faction. Oh, I'm for this person. I don't for this person. I like this person. This person preach. I don't like this person. This person sing. I don't. So you might just fall into it. But immediately, Holy Spirit, draw your attention to it quickly. You adjust yourself. Yeah, you it's just you might fall into it. But when you make it becomes a practice. You make Holy Spirit is just keep convincing you, you just ignore it. Then that is what the Bible is warning us about. So, back to the question the greedy for money and the truckiness, the Holy Spirit will tell you once you are born again, it will tell you, it will draw your attention to it. It will draw you. I'm very, that one, I'm certain, 100% certain about it. And sometimes it may not even be directly, it might be through Bible studies like this, and it draws your attention to it like that. It might be Holy Spirit, not right now as we're saying, it's Holy Spirit talking to you. Mm. And uh, once the Holy Spirit speaks to you like that, you open up your heart. And it's a very gentle spirit. It will keep coming back. It will draw your attention to it. But it doesn't just take it all at once. It takes it gradually, gradually until it's completely gone. That is natural according to the time of life. The Lord help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Sister, I know very quickly. Pastor, for those people to draw the person, draw. Yeah, your yeah, internet is fading, just like mine. I think she's got it. 
right? I think I will take her if she comes back. But I think I'm hear me. Yes, you yes. Know, we can hear you. We can hear you now. Go on. Okay. I, I was just, I was just trying to say that, like, like now. I'm sure one would, and the five must not. The Holy Spirit is already drawing our attention to so the things we need to change. But then, what if our hearts are not willing to change? How the, how do we bring ourselves to that point where we we we're, we're receptive to His voice? Because you know how um, with the good shepherd, we, we, we know his voice and we know when he speaks to us. But what if we're in a position where we socialize the alcohol to the, to the point like it's just, it's just what it is. And when we hear all this kind of preaching, our brain is telling us it's just what it is. That I'm just trying to see how we can cross that bridge of being receptive for, on, 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 as to what the Holy Spirit is bringing our attention to. Mm. Thanks. That's a very good question. I think what I can say about that is that the Bible says in the days of his power, my people will be willing. What we also do is that that's why even though we have prayer meetings on Tuesdays, on Thursday when we have Bible studies, at the end we also pray. And one of the things the, the leaders have agreed today is that the prayers after Bible studies now will concentrate on the Bible studies. So now, and that is how, because power will be made available. Because you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It will make the power available. It will, it will make you, it will just look at it and say, you know what? I think this is this, this is true. And gradually, it just it, it will make it's the Holy Spirit that does it, to be honest. If the Holy Spirit does not do it, then I don't see who else can do it. If you make a new year resolution, you will soon break it by yourself. But once we allow the Holy Spirit, but is it starts is is this gradual process, and uh, it brings witness along your way, like what we are doing today. And once we pray, I think it's also with prayers. Once we pray, you start seeing those changes taking place. I believe with prayers, prayer is the key. Once we pray, we start, even the most violent one, even the most difficult one, the Holy Spirit to break it. Some of us can even think about some of the, there are so many people here that, that if you think back when you are young, the things that you've actually done, and you think today, how did you get rid of them? Uh, there's men's here that are not adult that must be when they are little. But you, if you go back, how did you get rid of all Those are very hard things to get through as, as teenagers because of the pleasure you derive from them. But today, nobody taught you, you just go over them. How, if you look back, is the Holy Spirit. As you can continue to walk in the light, as he is in the light, regardless of all those, it will break you up. It takes time, it will break you up. And one of the most also difficult one is letting go your money. That's even some people, up to now, people find it really, really difficult. Find it very, very, even born again Christians, find it difficult, but once you keep depending on the Holy Spirit, it is hard, but it will break you down eventually, as long as you open your heart to him with prayers. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Sister Anu and Sister Lioness for your questions. Um, we'll move on to the next verse and see another six, this time, must-haves, not must-nots. So having given six things that should not be found in a genuine Christian that would be considered for leadership. Then, Paul then goes on in verse 8 to say, but us people, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, 
I mean, these are the kind of qualities that you believe such a person must possess. And again, these are the kind of qualities that we believe we must possess if indeed we are genuine Christians. Um, and just to double click on each of them very briefly, to be hospitable simply means to love strangers. Uh, a, a very good litmus test for that, for instance, um, would be when we worship with the Church of England together, how do you feel <laughs> about that kind of um, an atmosphere uh, with a liturgy that you are not used to, with everything looking different? But be hospitable means you're willing to still love strangers with their strangeness. Um, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, you are welcome in my world. That should be the disposition of a genuine believer. And many of us had been on the receiving end of that when we came into a country like this. I went to Bradford 2015, knew no one literally in the city, and yet a strange couple who welcomed a strange boy into their house for free for three months, just staying in a free accommodation in a land where I knew no one. I mean, that's, that's loving strangers and accepting them for who they are. And that, that, should be, that should be every and any one of us um, willing to open up as such to people that don't even necessarily see things your way. They don't think like you. They don't talk like you. They don't look like you, but you are still open to them. I think that's one thing Jesus had that made, Bible says, common people heard him gladly. In other words, the kind of no, ordinary people that, in fact, others would reject yet they flock to him because he's a hospitable character. He's open to strangers. He's open to everyone, even children, would easily, lovingly, you know, find him, carrying them on his laps and, and, and blessing them, loving strangers. Second one, lover of good. And that's, that's open-ended. What's good? Anything, anything that is good. Do you genuinely love what's good? good ideas, good music, good books, good courses, good things, good dresses for your wife, good, anything good, lover of good. If anything is good, you just see some people that are just excited at what is good. It's not because they, I don't know, it's, 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 because of the Holy Spirit, basically. It's because they're the fruit of goodness. You know, goodness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's, it's manifesting off of them. They've not inhaled laughing gas. It's just the spirit of God. The lover of good, lover of good. Anytime I get to speak to Daddy Amiobi, uh, that we invited sometimes for our family weekend the other time. Anytime you call Pastor Amiobi, whether you call him or he calls you, you can be sure of one thing. The first five, 10 seconds, he will laugh. <laughs> A deep belly laugh. You will laugh joyfully and gladly. You would know that this is someone that is either something is injecting and pumping him with joy every day. It's like he primes himself up to be joyful before he calls you. And he first of all laughs from the bottom of his heart. I'm like, I want to grow up being like that. You know, just lover of good, anything good. You, you're there. A person is good because he has a good heart and surrounds, surrounds himself with good things. I would say it's in Proverbs 18, 22, that finds a wife, finds 
a good, good thing that obtains favor from the Lord. The third must have is to be sober-minded. To be sober-minded simply means to have sane mind, clear mind, sound mind. They are in a sane state. This is the opposite, you could say, of being a drunkard. Someone that is a drunkard, if you are asking them, (laughs) you are taking Bible study tomorrow, sir, and the Bible Bible study, there is no sanity in it. Prepare an outline. But when you have a sane mind, a sane state, you are able to hear the guiding voice of the Holy Spirit who leads us, who guides us, sober-minded, sober-minded. The fourth one is to be upright or to be just, as some versions put it. In other words, is a man of integrity. He sticks by his word. He practices what he preaches. His conduct is righteous. If things are done out of order, he's able to willingly put things in order. And he does so rightly. He does so rightly and justly <clears throat> so upright and then the fifth one is holy holy be ye holy for i am holy says the lord to be holy is to be unstained is to is to maintain that clear-cut distinction from the backdrop of the world wherein we are the root meaning is from the word that speaks of difference you're different christians are different from lost sinners because we are new creations by the grace of God. He that is in Christ is a new creation. Second Corinthians 5, 17. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So this holiness is not found in and of oneself. It comes from what God has freely given to us through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. For the remission of our sins. Holy, just, Lastly, disciplined, disciplined, or self-controlled. Discipline is the means actually by which all these must-nots and must-haves can be regulated in the life of a believer. It's the means by which these qualities are exercised consistently to produce godliness and growth in grace. Discipline, self-control. Uh, one way to put it in a cultural sense for some people is, is, is to say, Igbo. Things that, you know, there's just this philosophy of there are some things that must never be heard about me. Not because I'm trying to project a false image, but actually because of my identity. I don't know how many of us grew up having our parents drum into us. You are the, remember the son of whom you are. Remember the son of whom you are. And they are speaking of that even in a biological family sense. You are my son. You are my you are my daughter. If I hear that you dishonor this name outside, I would I would put you in your size. How much more this new glorious family that we belong to, to go out with that control. And we don't do it by our power. We do it by the spirit of God. He supplies the energy. He supplies the dunamis to get that done. This applies especially to a man's appetites and actions. The pastor must discipline himself regarding his time. And I'm speaking about that to myself first and foremost before any other person, so that he can get his work done. This woman. He must discipline his desires, especially when well-meaning members are trying to stuff him up with food. As Sister Lagwaja is bringing this food, Sister Lagwaja again is bringing another food, and there is always food in the house of the man of God. But you must be disciplined with regards to your desires. And he must keep his mind and body under control. 
as he yields to the Holy Spirit, as he yields to the Holy Spirit. So those are the six must-haves. I will just quickly take verse nine and then maybe if there's still room for contribution, we can have one or two contributions and then we pray based on what we have listened to. So this is the last verse. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. In other words, what kind of man or woman, as the case may be, will be able to hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught or she has been taught so that by sound doctrine, he or she will be able to exhort and convict those who contradict. What kind of person can do that? It's the kind of people we've been describing. Those who do not have those five must-nots and those who possess these six must-haves, amongst others, those who are summarily uh, children of God who are led by the Spirit of God. God's word is trustworthy because God cannot lie. And because God's word is faithful, those who teach and preach that word should be faithful. They should be faithful. And so sound doctrine in this sense, which is what they are treating and holding fast faithfully, simply means LD doctrine, the kind of teaching that promotes spiritual growth. That's what by God's grace we are trusting God to continue to do via this avenue of Bible study and growth track on Sundays to continue to give us healthy teaching that fosters and nourishes spiritual growth because at the end of the day especially when it comes to elders or people that have been called to leadership in the church they have a twofold ministry regarding god's word to build up the church how by preaching the word and also to refute the false teachers who spread unhealthy doctrine again how by preaching the word in other words they ground themselves so well in the truth that when they hear something that is off, they recognize it and they are able to channel that back to the truth. They are able to channel their listeners, the congregations back to the truth. They are able to help someone that is disposed to teaching heresy back to the truth. <laughs> if you want to see God's transformative power that is at work in your life, be a doer of his word and watch how his spirit will begin to transform your life. Because we cannot come across the word of God and not be transformed by his power. Remember how Paul said that he, 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 he is so passionate about the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. The good news itself has transformative power within it. The Bible says while Peter was still speaking, the good news, Acts chapter 10, verse 45, 44, 45, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and immediately they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The word that was going forth, the teaching of the good news that was going forth contained within itself dunamis, power for transformation. Bible says why Jesus was yet preaching, power was present to heal and to deliver. It was teaching, but power was present to heal and to deliver. And this should be our reality. This should be our default. Before I read through the conclusion um, in just one minute, any addition, contribution, um, question before we tie it up together and go to God with one major prayer point. Concerning... Uh, yes, God. Uh, what I want to say is that 
just like we said from the start that when we read about all these things that the Holy Spirit through uh, Paul is saying to, to the church, uh, we should know that that's also what he's saying to us. So we should not think about all that. We should think about ourselves. The Bible says in Psalm 24, verse 3 to 4, it says, We shall ascend into the hills of the Lord. We shall stand in his holy place. He that had a clean hand, a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul into unto vanity, and who has not sworn deceitfully. And you can start reading. Those are the things that we're talking about here. And when we talk about uh, we shall ascend to the soul, it means that we shall we shall represent higher spiritual ground, higher spiritual ground. And the thing is that if we say, okay, um, I'll just keep uh, going through the roller, roller coaster experience and not make uh, pray to God for those people to help me to go through all these things. The problem then is you now read Galatians 4 1 that says that for what I'm saying, is as long as he is a child, then we become a child, we're not sons. If he hears a child, he says it's not different from a slave. Even though he's the owner of everything, he's subject to guidance. That's some things. It doesn't matter. It's being a child and being a son in the spirit, there are seven layers, like we told you, but being a child is one of the lowest after salvation. Being a son is quite a different thing. And until you get to that setting, for example, doesn't matter how clever a child is, you can't give him a key of a car, even though you might need it. You have to, so we have to consciously pray to the Holy Spirit to help us so that we are not like Napios. The word Napios is from Napi, being a baby Christian, but we should grow so that we are no longer child in Christ. And how do we grow? We read all these things and we start, uh, we let the Holy Spirit dissect our heart and see which area is it drawing our attention to. Then we start praying to God, God, I need your help us. I'm going to this 2023 in this area. I'm a liar. I lie all the time. I am, uh, I, I, I don't like good things. You say must be a lover of good things. I don't like good things. No, no, I worship mammon. I really, I know that in my heart, I like money so much. If they give me this opportunity and this one, this is what I would take. So those are the things to start asking. The Holy Spirit, not condemning yourself. There's therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ, but tell the Holy Spirit to please come and help you. Because without Holy Spirit, you cannot do it on your own effort. And I pray as we do that, the Holy Spirit continue to help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, sir. I think that wraps it up brilliantly. Um, true belief in the gospel will always be accompanied by good deeds and right actions. That's what we've been talking about. That you can't say you are a Christian and we will have to look with a microscope before we can start finding evidences of these good virtues and absences of these bad vices from your life. It just doesn't add up. As followers of Jesus Christ, you and I should be proven, tried, and true. Why? Because the gospel indeed is truly our anchor. And so we must see now more than ever that elders are a necessity for the church in order to protect the body. Going back to the context of Titus 1, verse 5 to 9, they serve in this capacity not because they are perfect, like I said, they are also members of the church like us. And amongst all the members, God just singled these ones out onto responsibility because, again, they have been tried, proven, and found to be trustworthy. Um, and uh, as a father would for his family, they are diligently seeking wisdom from the Lord to help shepherd our hearts in the scriptures. And therefore, as a church, 
we must not neglect this responsibility to consistently and constantly pray for them. I speak as one of the elders in this point to say, we need your prayers. I think it was Paul, again, writing in one of his epistles that says, brethren or brothers, pray for us because we do need your prayers. There is nothing, uh, quote and unquote, special about having been saddled with this responsibility. Uh, you see people being ordained to offices and people saying, congratulations, congratulations. I remember the time I was appointed as president of tax one. You know, yeah, I was congratulations. I'm asking them, what are you congratulating me for? <laughs> I've not won any, my account balance has not changed. My, I didn't win any lottery, if anything. This is serious responsibility. And indeed, that is what it is. So we need your prayers, not your congratulatory messages alone. And we trust that the Lord will continue to help us in the name of Jesus. Now for all of mm -hmm. us as a church, and we're wrapping up with this prayer session to say, we just want to go to God. We've seen 11 things, at least that the spirit of God has highlighted today alone. Uh, five of which are things that we should not have. And six of which are things that we should have. I don't know which of those should haves are lacking in your life. I know the ones that are lacking in mine that I'm struggling and trusting God for to continue to grow more into them. And again, I don't know which of those things that are supposed to be lacking that are still very evident. Perhaps you are still very self-willed. Perhaps you are still very much into drinking. Perhaps you are still very driven by greed for money. Whatever it may be, we want to go to God together. It's just one prayer point, not two. But I want you to pray it with sincerity and, yeah, and yeah. desire for, 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 for truth and genuine change in your life and in mine. I'm going to mute myself. I hope you mute yourself as well. But in the one minute that we're going to do this, talk to God. Ask him for the help that is able to rot the change you desire to see. We've tried by our efforts and discovered we can't. But there is someone that is able to live inside us and make the change possible. And he wants to. He delightfully wants to. It's just waiting for us to lean in and trust him for the help that he's so willing to give. So let's go to God together and say, Father, help us. Help me in this area and help me in that area. I want to see this no more as I'm going into the new year, but I want to see more of this beautiful virtue flourish in my life. Prayers in the name of Jesus.